This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. So how will this young Huddersfield team cope with being in the lion's den? The one who can perhaps expect the most stick after being involved in the penalty controversies at the weekend. The roar of the lion's den will be an intimidating experience for Huddersfield. Schofield to pull it across. Morrison! 1-0 Barron's corner, Robinson! And surely that is it! The kick, it goes a long way now, and surely a goal! It is by Robinson! He did it in the semi final, now he's done it in the final, and Millwall ahead with one of their longest serving stalwarts, Paul Robinson. The final almost criminal, really. It's over! It always amazes me that people, when the referee makes a bad decision, they lob a programme out. When it's got no no image of ever reaching the pitch in time, it's, it's just suddenly goes up 
and you get it at the back of your head normally from from the upper tier. But yeah, Danny, who do you throw in front of the police dog? Ah, oh, um, that was James Henry at Luton. Yeah, that was yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, it almost nib- almost nibbled that nose of his off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we used to batter him about his hooter. Um, but I've had problems with, with 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 my own fair problems with refs. I mean, in, in the National League now, I'm I'm still serving a two game suspension as he kicked in from the stand because um, obviously the, the, what's happened with the virus. But I've got when we go back, I've got a two game stadium ban. Um, I mean, touchline ban when we go back. So I I haven't changed with refs. And um, look, like what I said, you get you get good ones and bad ones. Um, but at Millwall, like you said, it. You rode your luck at times, but you felt at times you'd get one that would try and prove prove himself and 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 and, and make make this rash decisions. But um, yeah, apparently it hasn't changed much since 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 I've left anyway. I mean, James Henry. James Henry was a, a great player for us. He just he just seemed to have on and off days though, didn't he? I mean, there there was a day where he didn't he score three and one. I think it was. Three is Premier, I think, wasn't it? That game when we won yeah. five 0 Yeah. But I mean, what was your your views on on Henry as a as a player? Because it was a young player coming in. Apart from obviously throwing him in front of the police dog, what could have turned nasty. Yeah, great delivery, James Henry. He was he, he scored some big goals for us and uh, some some fantastic goals. Great free kicks, great delivery. Um, wanted to put the ball in the box, and that's how Kenny liked. He wanted players that could put the ball in the box for the likes of Gary to go and edit edit. Um, so I, yeah, I thought James Henry was a. I played behind him. Um, Good lad, good player. Don't know where he is now. I wouldn't know if he, I'm still sure. I think he's still playing. He's at um, Oxford, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Oxford now. James Henry. Yeah, yeah. He can't, look, he was a, he done well for us. I felt felt James. It only lasts probably 65, 70 minutes, but you get a good 65, 75 minutes out, out of him. And like I said, he come up with some great assists, some great goals. I mean, that's crosses, wouldn't you, off James? Like guaranteed, he'd shift it across. He was never gonna beat someone with dazzling skill, they just move it and cross it. And he had that delivery, that technique where you could make your run in the box because you knew it was coming in. Did you, was it pretty much that you had a sixth sense for the players you played with that sometimes you didn't need to look? You just knew that if you run somewhere and they had the ball, they were going to stick it there to you? I think that's, that's again, that comes from training. Obviously, you learn how these players play. And like I just said there, James Henry, you knew he'd shift it on the outside and he'd want to wrap his foot around it and whip it into an area. So, You'd, you'd make your run and you'd hope you'd make the right run because either way, the ball would have been put into 80% a good area. You know, 80% of the time, it would have been a good delivery into a good area and you had to hope you made the right run or it'd be near post, back post. He was putting in a dangerous cross. I mean, that, that season, obviously, Morrison come in. Did you know, did you did you see, um, being professional as what you are, that there was something about Morrison that he, he, he was going to come into the player he did? Yeah, obviously he scored goals for years and years in the in non-league in League Two. He scored goals, and obviously he showed glimpses. And like Robbo said, he had a bit of a slow start. He had to grow into the way Millwall worked, and what a player he become for the club. You know, he's, he's, he goes down in history tomorrow. You know, and Mike said it. You have to be a certain type of guy to play for Millwall and a certain character. And it, it sometimes it takes that little bit of time to to become that person. And Morrow certainly became that person as a player. Morrow. I, sorry, I, I thought, you know, with Morrow was a really good example of how Kenny managed in, in a way, because he, he actually, after that sticky start, you know, if you remember, you know, he had a couple, there was a, a FA Cup tie at Staines where he, you know, it was a really bad miss that he made. 
uh, and his confidence was low. And, you know, he did that run of, uh, you know, pretty, um, I think it was nine or ten games with, with one goal or something like that. But Ken took him in and basically taught him, look, this is what's expected of you as a Millwall player. And the next training session, he was up against, he, he was up against um, Omar Beckles, who was 18 at the time, lad who's now at Shrewsbury, um, in his last, I think it was his last year as scholar. And all of a sudden you heard this yelp and uh, Morrow had, had, had done him basically. And then in the next game, he left something in on, I think it was, I think it was MK Dons or something like that, but he left, someone, left something in on someone. So there was an intensity to him after that chat with Ken, which was very quiet, but very pointed. Look, you know, you're at Millwall as a, as a centre forward this sort of stuff is expected of you. You've got to be harder. I think there was a match where something happened and he, he apologised to a defender. And, uh, and and Ken went off the scale at that. You know, you do not do that. Um, so, um, and he was like the catalyst for the whole, that, that big run, wasn't he? I mean, where did you know in the season that it was game on? Where, oh, was, there, was there a part of it where you thought, do you know what, we could fucking do this. We could, we could get out there. I think we always believed. I think as a group, I think even earlier on in the season, like I say, even when even when as a we weren't really putting a string of results together, I think we always just felt it's going to come, it's going to come. But it just for whatever reason wasn't quite happening. And then, like I say, I think like you alluded to earlier, those two games back to back, we beat Charlton four nil, then went up to Ellen Road and beat them two nil. Yeah. For me, that was the kind of those two games just in that little period. I thought we've beaten Charlton at home and you know proper put them to the sword, and then beating Leeds away. I thought that were two, two big results that made me think, yeah, do you know what I mean? And like I say, I, I actually thought we were going to catch Leeds, but you know, Bristol Rovers conspired to lose against them, didn't they? Even though Leeds had ten men on the last day, and and but then I wouldn't swap that for the world in terms of, of what happened about three weeks later after that. No, but, that's it. Yeah, but also I want to say as well that that was where for me Kenny was quite clever. He understood the identity of himself, uh, the club himself, quite quickly, and. In terms of using the fans and that, he knew us as a group of lads needed to bring the crowd into play, especially at the den. And he wanted traits from us as a group of lads and the way we played in terms of your work ethic, your desire, your running for the shirt, commitment in challenges. He knew that that would bring the crowd into play and get the crowd on side almost. And a, and a team on the pitch that, that Millwall fans would identify with. Um, and that's what I think grew that link between us as, us as players in, as a group, but also us as players with the with their fans and I think that obviously then I think we only lost one game that whole season at home didn't we I think it was Wickham that was the only game we lost that whole season beat all of the top six I think that just showed what a, what kind of unity we'd kind of built in, in the whole atmosphere of the club you bring me neatly on to Wickham because the story that well not uh, I'm sure fans will want to know is I think um, was it the home game where Gareth Ainsworth obviously done Tony Craig didn't he and I think um, the return game he came on the pitch I don't know what you guys remember from that game but he got sent off a couple of minutes. Just wondered what you guys thought at the time. Was there animosity that was there that you all, as players all knew about? Or I think at the time as fans, he came on, obviously, in Elbow, Tony Craig got sent off straight away. Now, listen, that was a, the, the challenge of the den was a... It, do you know what? The first, the start, the first 10, 15 minutes of the game, you saw a couple of goal kicks go that side and you saw two or three, like, proper challenges between Gareth and Tony. And you thought, oh, this is going to be a good tussle between <laughs> these two. But then, obviously, Tony then gets caught badly and it was a... It was a really bad injury. I mean, Tone's face has never been the same since. Like the way, it's it's better now, isn't it? yeah, the way, 
the way they couldn't adjust that, but the way it's like his cheekbone and everything. And it was a nasty injury for Tony. And obviously us as being with Tony day in doubt, we knew that. Um, we'd seen that. So then for him to come on in the away game and after three minutes do the same challenge, I just thought was, you know, like I've met Gareth Ainsworth since and got to know him. And, you know, like everyone says, he's, he's kind of a lovely fella, but I just thought that was bang out of order. And I think you saw the way we reacted, as, especially as soon as that happened and, and what we thought of that. But also I just thought that, you know, we needed to protect TC as a, as a lad, really, because he was a, an important part of our group as a, as a bloke and a player. What was your thoughts on that, Michael? Um, well, one, I thought uh, it was solidarity in action, you know, because it all kicked off in a tunnel at Wickham, didn't it, after that? Um, I, but, you know, like Robbo said, you know, I've got to know Gareth quite well. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and he is quite a nice guy. You know, he's a very nice guy. But it's just... There's a sw- there was obviously a switch there, and it was, um, you know, maybe there's something in his character that, that just came out. Um, it was interesting. I, you know, I remember, you know, you, know, you Rob, I were very strong on it at the time, and I thought, well, you know, if a pro-like Robbo is speaking in terms, in those terms, it must have been pretty serious. And, um, you know, again, one of the things that, I learned as the season go on that there is a code about football. There is, you know, there is a, there is a code about, you know, because every, all players are united by the, you know, by the the reality that one one injury can end their career. If you get someone who does someone with malice of forethought, that offends the code, I think. And 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 obviously the way the guys reacted to to Gareth Ainsworth, um, you know. That that I think underlined that. The, the interesting thing was that you know Gareth Ainsworth could quite easily have been a Millwall manager. <laughs> Can you imagine what what sort of response he'd have got from the fans? I think yeah. he was shouted, wasn't he? And it was it was, <laughs> it was a bit of a. I think no, I, I don't think Millwall fans have ever forgotten what he did to Tony Craig. No, um, and uh, I don't think he would be. Um, I don't think he'd be welcome. To be fair, I think when his name was being toted around, a lot of fans were saying, you know, we don't fucking want him, um, purely because of obviously what he did to Tony Craig. I mean, what was your two views on on um, on that tackle, Tony Craig? Like when, like, like Mike says, there's a respect on the pitch. You know, you, you know when you're coming up against a play, you know when you're in a battle, and you get to learn know these players who, who you know what, there's some players you can give a whack, and you know you're going to get a whack back. There's some players who can't take a whack, but they want to give it. But when it's done deliberately, I think it's it goes it's below the belt, isn't it? You know, like and to to cause that damage, like Robbo said, there was a few challenges early on, which sort of showed it was heading in that direction. It was only one misjudgment, or Tony's head in the wrong place, and there's going to be a real bad injury. That's what happened, and that, that's that's below the belt. You know, is there's, there's respect and there's no respect, and to put a challenge challenge in like that is just disrespectful for me. You know, because at the end of the day, Tony's the first one to put in a tough tackle to not want to go in and hurt someone, but to let somebody know they're in a game, you know, but to do it unfairly like that and to injure someone like that, it's just below the belt for me. Danny? I think they both had a reputation for being a tough, to being tough, and maybe it was a case of, look, I'll do you before you do me, one of them ones sometimes, and I think he, he saw a chance go off and he maybe, it, look, it was well over the top, well uncalled for, and I think he knew that in himself. We've all met him and, and, and a sound guy, but it was, uh, I think he's saying he, re- re- he would regret looking back on because um, 
we've all we've all tough tough tackles, but that was a little bit more over the top. Um, so yeah, whether it was a case of look, I'll do you before you do me, one of them ones. Um, but elbow in there, I thought it was it, it was below the belt on that on that day. Is there any players that you've played with? I mean, through that season, but through through your careers, where you you've been a bit wary of certain players that they're a bit they're they're a bit hard on the tackles. Two on the screen. I've had to grow my hair because of Robbo. <laughs> <laughs> Two on the screen. <laughs> got more fish in the back of my head because of him than anyone. So. Uh, it's we're going for the London two back, but maybe the scars. I think you know. You get to know these players what are up for a battle, and you accept you're going to get a whack at some point, but then you have to accept you're going to get one back. You know, and it's part and parcel of the game. But if you go to hurt someone deliberately, like Danny says, he'll probably look back on that and regret that massively, Gary. But it's it's one of them. You get to know the players what want to take a whack, what will give you a whack, and it's a, there's a mutual respect there. I mean, go we move forward through the season t- on on the games as such. I mean, and then we we've got a few um, bits coming on on some of the the staff within, and obviously um, some of the stories. But I mean, Huddersfield that that night, that atmosphere at the Den was fucking unbelievable for fans. Um, and I've been pitch side on some big games and whatnot. I mean. How was how was that atmosphere for you as players? I mean, if you weren't riled up before that game, as soon as you walked out of that tunnel, it must have hit you like a brick. Like you like like you said, a packed den. There's not many grounds what what make that noise. You know that volume. It's 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 unbelievable. That night at Huddersfield, I've never heard anything like it. You could you could have a ground for seventy thousand people. You know, and that twenty thousand of people all that night made more noise than seventy. You know, it was it was incredible and. If that can't spur you on, then I don't think anything will. I think being a night game as well, there's just that extra something to the atmosphere for me as well. I don't know. And I think even like me, Gaz, Daddy, we've been to the playoff games since as well, haven't we, at the Den? I know we're probably a little bit biased, but it, it hasn't felt that same atmosphere even even at those ones, even though that they would have meant just as much to the fans and just as much to the team on the pitch. So it was just, just something special about that night and everything coming together, really. And I just still look back at that and just the, the whole feeling in the ground was, was incredible, really. Danny, what was your views on that? I didn't play in a game, but like I said, well, I said the energy and, and, and the did crowd. You, were you there, though, or did you? I was there, yeah. Obviously, I got injured before that, before that, <laughs> leading up to that. So, um, disappointed not to play in there. But you just wanted the lads to go out and put a performance on. And when the den is like that, it's a very, very tough place. Very tough place for the opposition to play. Um, and that... That, that energy from the crowd and, and it's, it's, it's something that you never never leaves you. That the whole night, the set up, the build up, you don't sleep that night after games like that. It's, they're, they're phenomenal experiences, and to be part of that, we've had it more than one occasion. We look back on and they're proud moments for us as, as players of, of Millwall Football Club. Slight deviation quickly, only from what you said there. You you when you play games, you play obviously the adrenaline and everything else is flowing. How how. How would that be for you now, if you're playing now, with obviously playing behind closed doors, or obviously with everything going on with Corona at the moment? But I mean, how would that affect you as players playing now? With no one in there. Yeah, I, I, personally, I think it's it's probably tougher than you than you realise. I think that when you make it as a professional, that whole buzz, that whole atmosphere, that whole feeling of adrenaline, that moment when you walk out before a game and the crowd lift off and you're like, right, it's go time and 
you know, scoring goals, everything about it, even making a good challenge or a good clearance or a block, like just that whole atmosphere in the ground, that that moment in the game when you feel the momentum change when the team do a few little moments where, you know, a few challenges or a tackle or someone makes a run that all of a sudden the crowd go with you and then the whole momentum of the game just changes. I just feel that all of that will be taken out of the game. And I think that as much as a player, you're professional, you want to win, you want to try and do everything your best. I, I think that in another way, some some players will find it a challenge to get the best out of, to to get their best level of performance out of them, just because quite often the crowd can be the best coaches in terms of their demands on the players, you know, the scrutiny, letting them know the, and their reactions to it. And I think as a player, there'll be certain occasions where they won't quite reach the level that they're capable of. And I think that it will be a challenge for the players over the coming weeks. Even more so than then, obviously. But no, I mean yeah. that's that. I mean, was was. I mean, you, you're you're not playing again, yeah, are you? Your your team's not playing, yeah, are they? No, we're not playing. But I'm with Robbo there, like as you said, the whole build-up to even driving into the ground, seeing empty, driving in on the coach, you know, pulling up in the car park at the den and having kids running up to you, you know, it, it means something to them people, and and you want to go out there and play for them people, pulling up at away grounds and no one there, your fans not giving you that urge as you get off the coach, it, it must be so difficult, you know, and to. To get up to, I think I think we've seen it within the games as well. What are on the telly, they just seem a lot slower. It almost seems a bit training groundy, you know, like it's, a, it's almost a practice match. You probably know, Robert, don't you? Because obviously you're involved in the coaching side, but you're only allowed six people on a coach, isn't it? I think it's six <laughs> or seven people on a coach at the minute as well. You're not allowed. Yeah, I think they've got to take to go two to coaches a... for the players. The staff have got to drive themselves to to games. Um, that seems to be the setup, but even more so, I think that. Let's get it right. Rooney would have, I think, would have had a much more um, absolutely at the den on Saturday. And even, even don't get me wrong, the eighteen-year-old was excellent for Derby. Really good, Sibley. Um, Easy goal, so. But, but you know, regardless of that, I think would he have been? I think, I think he might have been tested a little bit more mentally even before he got on the pitch as an eighteen-year-old lad playing at the den on a normal match day. That was my only. Um, yeah, I mean, go back to our FA Cup game with Leicester. Um, ben Chigwell just refused to start doing throw-ins because he was get absolutely hammered by by our fans on that on that pitch. So yeah, I mean, go back, go back to the season. Your um, injury, Gary, was obviously we knew it was bad at the time, but reading the book, it sounds a, it sounds fucking nasty, mate. You had to, have, did you have to have an operation to have part of your heels shaved as well? I, I did in the end. I had an op in the end, but uh, as I said, I, I've never been in so much pain. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, you know, and. It, it was a tough journey, but as I said, as we said before, that group that we had there got me through it, and it felt like I was involved in every game because I'd be at most games. I'd travel away. I'd be at the home game certainly. I think I was in the, at the Charlton away. I was at Leeds away, you know, and I was part of that group. But that injury was probably the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of the end of my middle career because I didn't get to compete with uh, Morrow as much as I'd like to, whether that be as a partner or. Be, uh, be the number nine you know I didn't get to compete because of that injury it caused problems and yeah it was I, I went and see about four different surgeons I had special, specialist treatment on it just to see if they knew what it was no one knew no surgeon wanted to touch it because I think I was 29 at the time and it was a case of that you're probably going to have to retire if we operate on this you know and eventually I had to take the risk one surgeon took that risk and I ended up uh, at the end of that season obviously having a chat with Kenny chances would have been few and far between because of that injury I've missed so much which was fair enough but I'm not that type of person to sit there and not 
not play. I want to play. I want to go and play as many games as I, as, as I can, you know. So to sit on the bench and take my money is not a bit of me. As much as I love me award, well, I'd want to play football. And I was given that opportunity at Brentford and I went on to play another 200 games, which at 29 I was told I wouldn't. That's, that's, that's fucking ample amount of games, though, isn't it? So, yeah. Well, you played a fair few games as well. What did you play? 357, didn't you, Danny, for Millwall? 389, yeah. Played in the end, yeah. 389 for Millwall. And, yeah, I wanted to get to the 400 is that, mark, that's, but... is that including all the youth games as well, then? Cup games and league games, I oh, think yeah. you, you account for. Yeah, don't count for anything else. I think we, we, if you would have said to like, when we, me and one of our youth team players, we'd end up playing that, that, like, that near that many games that we thought. I mean, if you get to 100 games at Mill, you've done well as a, as a player to play that many games and to have that service and then get rewarded with a testimonial. They're all things that when we were young youth team boys, we'd never, we only dreamed of to play that many games. So, um, something to look back on and be proud of. I mean, going quickly, so I've, I sort of avoided you there, Michael, but, but, but I mean, the Huddersfield game for you was probably uh, an awakening, really, wasn't it, to what Mill really was about? I suppose, as I said earlier, I thought the Charl- yeah, Charlton opened my eyes um, and I suppose Huddersfield op- opened my ears, you know. Because um, that's such a narrow tunnel entrance. Yeah. The, the, it almost like sucks the sound in. And, um, you know, I always try to go out behind 40 because I, I just, I just made, he just made me laugh um, about what he was, sort of the, the crap that he was, that was, he was doing. But, again, you just saw that that sort of tremor of unease, and you know, Robbo was at the top, offending, offending Sky, Sky Sport, and I know that was you know, effing and jeffing. Um, but again, it's something about you know. And I remember talking um, to uh, Lee Clark almost immediately, the Huddersfield manager, almost immediately, and he and he just said, "I hate this fucking place. I fucking hate it," and that's probably almost like the greatest compliment that can be paid to the power of the den, that you've got a guy who'd done a you know a decent job with more money, I have to say, because if you think uh, how does, that was one of the other things about the season when, you know, Ken was trying to put the team together where other clubs had more money. Southampton were, were rolling in it. Leeds had money. Um, Huddersfield had money. And, um, uh, you know, so from that point of view, uh, what happened? That you looked at those Huddersfield players, it's a bit like the Charlton experience, and thought this lot aren't gonna, this lot haven't got a a, a prayer here. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. And it's fun. And again, people, that's the game that always people always ask me about. What was it like? What are those fans like? And you know, um, the only the only experience that I've had like that would be I've seen a couple of games in Argentina you know big derby games in Argentina and they are nuts they are absolutely nuts that was a pretty similar experience without all the ribbons and everything else but it was just mad and um, I thought it was fantastic it's fantastic and you know the way the crowd you know you know you guys are going through that you've done your coaching badges I think what the LMA should do as part of their um, preparation for management is that they should put all their candidates through the experience of being an away team manager at the den because the boys behind that tuckout they have got you know they they basically give them the, I, I, I can remember frank lampard being there last season oh his season with derby and my god they never stopped it was 
yeah, it's some character, it's some character um, reference if you can get by that. I mean, Gazza was there once, and, and someone threw a fucking Mars bar on the, on the thingy and said, oh, you fat cunt, threw a Mars bar on the bitch, and he picked up and hit it. Do you know what I mean? He's, he, he, he's, he's, well, we'll come back, we'll come on to the final in a, in, a, in a minute or so, but I mean, looking at some of the coaching staff you had there, um, what was your view? I mean, Richard Shaw is, is an absolute talent in football. Um, yeah, I mean, why he hasn't got a manager's job, I, I really don't know. But he, he, I mean, was he a vital part of that that team building the team spirit when you've got someone as fiery possibly as as Kenny? I think Rich was a like he, he'd obviously played, so he knew the score. He knew on a Friday he'd take the group away what wasn't what wasn't involved, you know. And he he knew at times that we'd have the ump and he'd put on little sessions just to sort of get you through. But he knew what sort of moods we were in, having been a player, having crossed the white line to become a coach. He'd take us and he was just an incredible person. You know, he was, as you said there, he was a top, top player. It, it was a pleasure to play with at the end of his career. You know, one you can look back on and go, I played with Richard Shaw, played 500 Prem games, what a player. You know, but he had that way about him in terms on a Friday, if Kenny asked him to take a session with the bomb squad, You'd go over with him, and he had that way. He, he knew, he knew how you'd be feeling on that Friday. So that session was geared to, to obviously make you feel a little bit better. He'd put his arm around you. He'd have that chat with you, and he was a top, top guy, Rich. He had a massive part to play. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't speak highly enough of Richard. Like I played with him, obviously centre half in his season there. And I mean, coming from Palace, I think he knew he would be uh, under scrutiny as well, wouldn't he? And but one player of the season in his first season, didn't he? Won everyone round. But on a personal level, he'd done so much for me in terms of advice along the way. Just just a great bloke, really. Lovely character, lovely fella, but I learned so much from him. And like Gaz knew then, like if maybe I hadn't had a great performance or we'd lost or something. You know, 10 minutes into my journey, I mean, he'd be picking up the phone, phoning me, talking me through stuff, just giving me those, you know, things that even probably Kenny wasn't aware of. But he'd still be talking to me, still be talking to the players, you know, understanding how to keep morale up, just giving you little bits of advice and, and obviously taught me loads about playing centre-half as well. So, you know, for, for me personally, I couldn't, couldn't speak highly enough of, of Shawsie. Danny? Yeah, huge respect for, for Shawsie. But uh, before we before he signed for me as a player, I, I'd, step, I'd stamped on his foot at Coventry away and I'd have row with him. I offered him out. <laughs> Richard Shaw, <laughs> let the legend. And then he signed for me when I remember the first day and I'm having to sort of go, hey, Richard, you're all right. Um, but what 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 a, what a gentleman! What a gentleman of a guy! Uh, we had huge respect for him as a as a player. I mean, his, his experience and, he, and and the game was was phenomenal. And as, as a as a coach, again, yeah, we we looked up to him because of what he'd done in the game. And obviously, went to Palace and we played them a lot this year, the twenty three. I, I still see him, but obviously, he's not there no more. Um, he is a good coach, and and I think he'd, he'd be welcome at any football club. What about um, Joe and Tony? I mean. What were your, I mean, Tony possibly not so much, but I mean, what was Joe like as um, as Kenny's right hand man? I suppose. Joe, Joe again. He, he was another top. He was top man. He was sort of obviously Kenny's go between between the lads and the, the lads and the players. You know, he he was there to work. He was a good coach. He helped us, but he was to sort of go between and possibly the eyes a little bit to see what's going on. You know, to keep check on us and if. If Kenny wanted, maybe he'd send Joe to have a little quiet word with us. You know, if uh, mine or Neil Harris's body fat were getting too high, he'd send Joe to have a little word. But uh, before he called us up to the office, um, but no, he was a he was a top man, Joe. He'd do anything for you, and you know, he was one of them who got on well with a group. 
and again we had that good understanding between when he was a manager, when he knew when it was time to be serious, when it was time to play. You know, he was he was he was a fun guy as well. You put in the book that he was sort of like the eyes and ears of um, Kenny. That he sort of he, he he monitored what was going on and obviously fed back. Is is that your what was your uh, views on on Joe? Obviously in your setback position, Mike. Yeah, um, yeah. It, you know, number twos are the ones who are almost like the confessor confessor figures. You know, they're they're the ones like you know people don't want to admit weakness sometimes or worries, and they'll probably be the one that they'll speak to on the, on the phone after the game. You know, I, I talked to Joe about it, and he said, yeah, you know, I will get guys phoning me saying, look, and he said, there's some guys who want to be told how well they they played, or you know, they want to go through their game with him, you know two hours afterwards when it's fresh or whatever. Um, and he's got a good relationship with, uh, with Ken. Um, I thought that that coaching group really gelled very well. And, you know, going back to, to Shawsy, he, again, a bit like the governors, had really high personal and professional standards. And, you know, to me, that, that, that came out, um, you know, there's a passage in the book where, you know, a lot of people have sort of remarked on, you know, with Lewis grabbing in the toilet at time of a reserve game. And um, what struck me that night was that Shawsy was, he was really sad because he, he saw in Lewis Grabham, you know, a player of great potential, athleticism, but he was he was almost you know self excluded himself from the group almost and he just he just just didn't fancy it that particular night he said he had a um, a stomach upset um, but Ken was there and Ken was going nuts but um, Shawsy was was much more measured afterwards where he was basically saying look you know this lad if he doesn't watch it will will regret not taking up the chance that he's got. And I must admit, you know, and I'll put my hands up on this. When I, when I wrote the book, I thought Lewis Graben would be out of the game within a year. Um, I just thought his attitude would, would count against him. And, you know, fair play to the guy. He's, he's you know, proved me wrong you know, over, over countless seasons and countless goals. Good luck to the guy. But there was, there was something in, in Richard's attitude that night of almost like the the sad um, sort of ruminative old old pro who had his standards challenged and he didn't like it. And, you know, I put it like this, you know, if I had a son who was good enough to play football and, you know, like yourself, uh, Gaz, I would be really happy if Richard Shaw was my lad's mentor. At, you know, a reserve team or under 20 or, or 23 level, you know, because I think he's a very, very good man. Forget about football, a good man. Yeah. yeah. What shows I hated was probably the worst thing in football as well, is wasted talent. You mm. see players that, you know, it's not through anything other than just turning up, giving yourself the best possible chance to play as well as you can, really. And I think that even at that stage in, in Grabs' career, everyone thought the potential was there. I mean, there was a spell for Millwall even where, you know, he was... He was winning us games pretty much on his own in certain performances. Um, and while that was happening, that was fine. The lads would kind of accept, like Mike says, he'd almost try and deliberately distance himself. We'd be going for a jog round and he'd deliberately be five yards behind everyone. He wouldn't just join the group or 
you know, he went for a spell, didn't want to train on a Monday. But like I said, as it's one of those, you learn you learn that certain things frustrate you, but if they're doing it for you on a Saturday, sometimes you turn a blind eye. It's when that then I think that you realise then like like Mike alludes to, those professional habits, you might get away with it for a short term, but over a period of time they catch up with you and they're showing you performances and and that's when the lads don't have it anymore. You kind of get you know, moved away from the group almost because the lads look at it and think, well, you're not winning this game. What are you actually doing? You're actually just taking the mickey out of us. So time for us to move on and you're going to get left behind. And I think that that's probably where Shoza's hurt comes in, you know, that that feeling that he's just wasting the talent that, you know, and fortunately, I mean, to be fair, I've seen him a few years later and he sort of said, I was an idiot when I like, I kind of realised, he said it took a while for me to realise, but you know, obviously he did, and, and thankfully for himself, he, he's had a 18, great career. 19 when he came in, was he? He was only young, was he? 18, 19, first move from Palace to Millwall. Obviously, big move at 18, 19 across. You know, Kenny brought him in, and he was in, he was out, he was in, he was out, wasn't he? You know, if I'm being honest, I've got a good relationship with Grabs. I still speak to him today, and I think he was that sort of shy character, what wouldn't walk across the Millwall car park and high five all the young kids he'd get out of his car and he'd be straight to that door he wanted to get in as quick as possible I don't think he he liked that sort of environment you know he wanted to get in he wanted to get out do his job and with people on your back when they see that sort of attitude we all know what Millwall fans are like they don't take to that and as I said I, I still speak Lewis sent me a couple of forest shirts the other day for the boys you know like all signed and, and things like that um, and I have a good relationship I just think he was shy he was young when he moved to Millwall. He was in and out. And as Robbo said, look, he's looked back and he's gone on to have a hell of a career. And he, Absolutely. He probably a massive learning curve for him at Millwall where it was a wake-up call, perhaps having seen Richard Shaw disappointed in how he's behaving and that attitude and knew, hang on, if I don't wake up, I, I don't have a football career. But he's gone on to have a wonderful career. He's always He always seems to fucking put him past us when he comes and plays for us, doesn't he? He seems to come out of his skin there. So, so yeah. Well, look, I, I, going forward, I'm looking to probably want to finish on the final itself and whatnot. But, I mean, what's your, what, what, I mean, have you got any key stories, any, any stories from that season that stick out to you? Or, um... I think, I think we, we could probably go back to a pre-season where all the lads were, we was obviously in Ireland pre-season, we are talking about the coaching staff and what relationships we've had them. And I think... The, the boys have backed me up on this. We had, like we said, we had seven or eight lads. Uh, obviously, what were real close. I think we had more nights out in Ireland than the staff. Um, it was one of them. We, we had one we were meant to go out, but I don't even think Mike see us crawling along under the wall, like getting out while they was all having dinner and Kenny was looking out. You know, uh, we ripped many a trouser crawling along that wall and then going, come on, quick, Kenny's looking the other way. Quick, your turn. And seven of us would fly through. And it was little things like that what made our group, you know, where, well, we explored Dublin. Let's say that within a within six days, we see probably every pub in Dublin. We had a local. We was known in a local. And it, they, they was good times. But the one what, obviously, for me, looking back, I think we were sat in our rooms one day. Or well, we weren't sat in the rooms, I'll tell a lie. We was out. We was already in the pub. And Shoza, Joe, Burns in that thought they was clever and sent a picture. This is how we roll. And they've all got a pint of Guinness. Well, the seven of us were already in the boozer, so we fired one back. This is how we roll. You know, like, and I think they was in shock because there was eight of us, seven or eight of us stood there with a pint and they was already in the pub thinking they're the only ones allowed out. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it kind of um, 
pack mentality sort of thing. If, if it's not going to be one of you going out, it's going to be a few of you going out together, I take it, and then that way you kind of get away with it, right? Or... Uh, yeah, that's the way I think we looked here. We won in all in. Obviously, there were seven or eight lads who didn't want to come out, didn't want to risk it, you know, but look, to get rid of <laughs> Kenny would have been a brave man to get rid of all eight of us. You know, I had he had caught us. Listen, he knew, we, he knew we was out more than, maybe not as much as he, he thought, but we was obviously out a lot of times and it was it, it was all team bonding, crawling under that wall, you know, like on all fours, just trying to get out of that hotel because Kenny used to sit facing the big window and someone had looked around, yeah, he sat there again, you know, oh shit, we've got to get on our knees and it's about a three foot wall and we're crawling across and then <laughs> we're after Jimmy Abdu, we're trying to get it across to him to make sure he leaves the doors on the latch so we can get up the fire exit to get in at two o'clock in the morning. I mean, go, going on Jimmy, I mean, Jimmy was a, Jimmy's a good lad, wasn't he? Did, I mean, obviously, Jimmy wasn't involved in your drinking. Doors were open, but... so he's a hell of a lad. The doors were always on the latch for us to get back in, so he was a good lad. <laughs> I mean, was this obviously aware to you then going on? And Kenny, did Kenny know this was going on, or was it just something? What he didn't really, didn't really, he knew it went on, but didn't really care. As long as they turned up and played, he didn't care. Oh, I, you know, I, I think you know, most managers have got pretty good intelligence systems, haven't they? But, um, you know, as, as Gaz said, you know, I, th I think he, he realises that you can't be a dis disciplinarian all the time, you know. And he, he, he once said something, he said to me, he said, the, you know, the one thing about being a manager is he said, you've got to act, but you, you can't just react. So, you know, if he'd have gone nuts about you guys, you know, going out on the piss... That would be a reaction, and you know the one thing that footballers become used to is managers having a as a, having a yelp at them. This way, you know, he he probably he probably you know he let it he let it go. Um, he didn't he didn't know exactly um, how many were were on manoeuvres, but um, yeah, you know, I, I think it's part of being a mature manager, isn't it? I think when a, when a manager is secure in himself. He's, you know, he's, he's then he allows his team and his players a certain leeway. It's when these players, you know, when managers are under pressure or they're insecure, that's when they start getting a bit daft. And and um, you know, I think Ken, I think the key with the key thing with him, he trusted the group. And yeah, he knew for me, he knew because he he at the, the night we got promoted, we, I think we were stood at the bar at four in the morning, you know, and he yeah. said. He put his arm around. He went, "I know what you lot got up to, you know." Like I think he saw the way we behaved when we had that day out at the Guinness factory, and we was. He said, "I'll meet you at seven, and that was the wrong manoeuvre straight away because we was out at twelve, you know. Like <laughs> you meant to have an hour. And we had we had six. At, at, when Kenny turns up, Dunny's doing a handstand outside Oliver's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. I remember we loved Dublin, Kenny. Didn't he? he liked Ireland, didn't he? And I, I think we went out that day. I think three o'clock at the Guinness factory, but we had a. 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock back on the coach curfew and I remember getting on the coach and you're trying to act like you're not you're not pissed but you are and then Kenny was at the front but then Kenny got off the coach when we arrived at Dublin um, in, at the hotel and uh, literally as soon as he got off he didn't look back and he walked straight through the hotel doors um, and never looked back we walked through the hotel doors through the hotel back out the exit doors back on the coach back to Dublin and he never knew. <laughs> he must have known, but it was like literally we followed him in. He went, right, he's going to bed, right, back on, straight back to Dublin, 45 minutes back there. Do the next morning, didn't he, when we never got when we was late for the coach? <laughs> yeah. He, he, he knew He knew a few months later. He didn't know at the time because I asked Joe about it, literally. And then there was four lads that missed the coach. 
The four lads are in a taxi trying to get back because they've missed the coach. Who are the yeah, four lads? Yeah, I, don't, I can't me, remember the four. Me, me, 40. I don't know and then this stops at the end of the road, the cab. The four lads come running up thinking, oh, no, we're late. We've missed the coach. He's going to kill us. We were like, it's all right. He's gone to bed. And the four of us got in the cab that just dropped the lads off and went back straight into Dublin. Like we were in about ten minutes, the whole squad, like including like including the coach and stuff, were back in the same bar we just left. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, who who out of the out of the bunch you had there? Who was the who was the biggest joker? What? Uh, two uh, points. Really that. Who was the biggest joker, and what was the the best practical joke you pulled? on a player that season? I mean, in terms of a group, I think we all had a laugh and banter, wouldn't we? But in terms of an actual joker, I think like, like Danny said, I think Lady would, would mess around and do the more childish, the more childish jokes. I mean, him and Grimesy, even one day, they were so scared of getting the train because their, um, their dad had told them how, like, how dodgy the underground was. They dressed up in their worst ever gear, like, like, like a couple of, like, just their worst tracksuit bottoms and jumpers and that got the underground to Houston and even went up to the ticket machine and pressed the ticket buttons that they needed to press for the next day just to practice getting the right tickets to go home to Manchester just because they were so scared of getting the underground, weren't they? they them two were just like, they bring us entertainment without even realising it, those two. <laughs> so there were always practical jokes, weren't there? There was always jokes and practical jokes. and Like I said, there was no one person. It was it, it, it was a collective thing. Everyone had a would wind each other up and could try and get little bits of banter here and there. It was a long time ago, so it's difficult to try and remember some of the stuff since then. I mean, that's very diplomatic. Of I'm not yeah. going to drop no <laughs> one in this year. <laughs> 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 we was in a club, and obviously there was an empty bottle of beer, and the toilet was pretty busy. So someone had uh, <laughs> someone had peed in a bottle of bud and stuck it back in with a twenty buds in the ice bucket, and along comes Chris Ackett. Along comes Chris Ackett, and this is frothing over the top. Me and Rob are paralytic. Well, I'm not going to tell you who pissed in the bottle, but obviously it was it was frothing over the top. Along comes Chris, out his nuts, puts his hand in the bucket, gulp, 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 and drinks this beer like it's nothing, gets it down his neck. Well, me and Robbo, we end up in stitches. We start doing somersaults and everything. We're so ecstatic that he's drunk this bottle of pee. Like we're doing somersaults. I think I don't know if one of us trained on the Monday because we were at our backs doing somersaults in this corner. Like it was like, but he'd come along and it was frothing at the top and he just picked it up. We knew we'd hit the jackpot when he picked that up and he drank it and he, he was none the wiser. He'd drink anything that was free, Chris, wouldn't he? Chris Ackett, anything that was free, he'd drink. Did you end up telling him afterwards or does he still not know until this goes out? <laughs> So, I mean, the final, <laughs> what did it mean to to get the two finals back-to-back? Um, and what was it like going into it? And then, obviously, obviously winning it. But, I mean, what was what was it like going in? Did you two turn up? 
Did you come to the final? You you come to the final? Of course, yeah, we was, we was in the squad. We were there, part of it. Yeah, I was involved on sub. Um, for me, obviously, back end of that season, obviously, I was injured most of the season and being told I might have to retire. My aim was to obviously try and get fit, try and catch Kenny's eye and try and force my way into the squad. And like, I remember getting the ump almost sitting at games where I was sub not used, sub not used. I'm thinking, fucking hell, give us a game. Let me like, stake my claim. But deep down, I was just happy to be involved, you know. And obviously when the final squad got named, having been out so long, I could have quite easily been left in the stand. And to be part of it and to be named on the bench was, for me inside, obviously no one wants to be sub. I don't want to be sub, but for me... Just to be named that day was special for me because I've been out so long and it meant something to me. But obviously, I think it's the longest spell of play at Wembley where the ball don't go out. You know, like I was stripped and ready to come on, and um, I think it was eight or nine minutes at the end. The ball didn't go out. I don't know how. We it was the longest spell of possession we'd had all season, and it, it just <laughs> fell out of play, and I couldn't get on. And you know that. Four o'clock in the morning, I was making sure Kenny knew that he'd set a new record, longest sub strip, but not to get on, you know? We heard, we heard it from across the bar. All I had was, I'm still waiting, Ken. I'm still waiting to get on. Any chance, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was the atmosphere being on pitch side with, I mean, because we took, we took, what, 45,000 now, I think 50,000 there? Um, it was immense. The, the, the noise there was immense. I mean, what was your... Um, what was your memories of, of that particular game, apart from your goal, obviously? I think everything about it. Obviously, I, I can I can fully appreciate how Dunny and Gaz are feeling. Obviously, the year before, I, I broke my foot in the January and I just, just, just about got fit enough to be on the bench for the playoffs the same. And I think coming back that year, I think that, that there was, was a little bit of, even though it was a, you know the second final in two years, there was still a bit of a freshness to the squad in terms of, Myself, having not played the year before too much, like I come on for sort of 10 minutes at the end. Uh, Morrow hadn't been there. Um, Wardy had joined us again, Scoey. I think that there was still enough of a freshness and a, a feeling to not have that kind of little bit of a hangover from the year before. But also, I think that we'd learned from it as a group. Um, I think maybe where we, we'd struggled for a few years in the league and hadn't quite had that success. Um, so then be challenging in the playoffs. I think that the, the effort that the squad uh, took to beat Leeds over two legs was, was such an effort. Um, that and just with a couple of unfortunate timings, things like James Henry's loan had actually run out, which meant that we had to walk the line-up of the team slightly. Um, meant obviously Grabs had to start in the final and really we only had uh, uh, Chopper and Gary to play up front and, and Grabs to, had to play right midfield, I think, that day uh, as a result. And I think all it did mean was just the dynamic. Just we just kind of ran out of steam, just literally just before the final. And as we all remember, it was the hottest day ever, wasn't it? That that Scunthorpe day. And I think you know Gaz and Chopper had absolutely run their defence ragged, but by 60, 70 minutes, the team needed a change, and that's why maybe they just just edged it. But coming back the following year, whereas maybe the the prize had been getting to Wembley and the whole experience and seeing all the Millwall fans and the whole thing and thinking we'd had a successful season. I think we come back this next year and just thought, no, this is business now. We're wearing tracksuits, we're turning up, we're going on a date and we're here to win. Um, we're here to win as a group and win as a squad. And, and that was our approach and, and that was the whole mentality going into that, that Swindon game. Your, um, your goal, the fucking, I mean, I think the best video out there is from the Swindon end when there's a couple of Swindon fans videoing it and then literally... Um, that noise, what what we made from from 
the other end of Wembley, which is a bit of a trek, um, sounded like we had everybody in the whole of Wembley. Uh, what was that like on the pitch? Yeah, exact, just exactly as you describe it, really. Uh, imagine all the sort of the noise, the pandemonium in the crowd. You feel that on the pitch, you feel that energy, you feel that noise. And I think that, that coupled with the, the Huddersfield game, I mean, I still now sort of almost stop, rewind it, and just as the goal's hitting the net, just look at that reaction and the way the crowd reacts and the, and the atmosphere and the feeling. And, and like you say, that, that, that one from the Swindon end in particular, you get the full view of the middle end is, is incredible. Yeah, I mean, just... You know, that whole day really leading the team out out there at the front and leading the lads out. And then, you know, for it to fall to me three yards out, I think it was, uh, even I couldn't have missed for there, really. So it was, uh, yeah, no. Nah, and like you say, to, to give the fans a reward as well, because they'd stuck with us, they'd turned out as well for that many to come back a year later and, and turn up and just give them that bit of that, that reward, really, and that promotion and, and everything it meant for the club to, to finally put that playoff thing to bed as well. It was going the year before to... Uh, well, the way it turned out, it was going. As a fan, it was absolute going. Then to get there the next year was sort of like oh, you know, you're full of you're full of nerves. That are you going to get there again? Is it going to happen the same way? And and you're sort of like oh, and and then you know you're in there, and then all of a sudden you go, you know, you, you get the win. And I mean, the other thing was is it was an early goal. It was a fairly early goal you scored, wasn't it? So then we had that whole nerves of waiting um, for the rest of the season. Was that the what game? It wasn't that game, was it? With the no, that was a, a, the the later one where the um fan had the fucking heart rate attached. That was another trip to Wembley where the fan had a heart rate and he had something like a two hundred and fourteen beats a minute fucking heart rate. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that was that was a, a thing. I mean, if Chopper and Morrow had passed to each other a bit more, I think we might have been three or four nil up. I think by that that <laughs> point, anyway, it might have been a bit more of a comfortable afternoon, isn't it? Two centre forwards trying to score at Wembley. It was more than the Millwall crowd that day when um, Charlie Austin missed the sit-off through on goal. Yeah. I don't know how you felt about that at the time, Robo. I'm like, I'm usually one of them, aren't I? Just safe, just chest it and boom it back down the pitch. And I thought, oh, we're winning 1-0. I'm just going to calmly play out of defence, try and keep possession and end up putting their centre-forward clean through. Which is, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, obviously, we were all, I think we all got that feeling of relief and uh, just when it went wide, it just... Even now, I still look back and think, oh, what was I doing? Like... What was I thinking? But thank goodness he missed, and, and we managed to, to seal it, you know. But even still, I think we deserved to win. We were the better. We were the better team on the day, um, for my for my view. And I think it would have been totally wrong if we hadn't have won. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, what's your? I mean, obviously, Danny, you didn't play. Um, but I mean, what was it like being part of the team and sitting there? Obviously, you were probably closer to the fans than these guys or such, but. Yeah, obviously, like we said, we, we were gutted the year before, but it was a different. It was a different year. We, uh, I think, uh, we knew it was our chance. Um, I think we learned a lot from the year before, as Robbo said, in terms of, of our first trip to Wembley, and we had the suits on and, and the distraction of it all. A little bit might, might have played its toll a little bit, um, but that season, the next season, to go back to back playoffs is tough enough to go in and do it and get promoted. It was credit to t to the team Kenny built, the people he built. And the players he built, um, and for Robbo to score, score the winning goal is a dream to be captain to do that. It was, I mean, the relief and and to going up that season and to be part of it, and for the party after, and for the club and the fans and the chairman. I think everyone deserved that that year, and and we deserved it as a club and as players. Um, so great memory, yeah. Look back on and 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 it's a medal that we'll always have. That's it. I mean, your your thoughts from the Wembley. I take it you were in the Royal Box, Michael. 
Uh, I was in the dressing room. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, it was actually yeah, my my sort of memory of of, of it is is of actually Robbo standing just just before the doors open, and and he, he turned towards the, the guys who who were lining up uh, behind him, and and he just well it, the, the quote was something like you know this is for you know the fans who hate their job and and and, and would love our lives. And I just thought that summed up Millwall, to be honest. That uh, it was a very sort of simple but very effective thing to say, you know, because normally, you know, it, it, it's you know, you, you, there's a lot of sort of almost like knee-jerk emotion in those sort of moments. But I thought the way Robbo actually just captured the the importance of the moment was fantastic. Um, and also, there's just little bits of, of, of humanity in the day, you know, TC being injured. Um, you know, Framo, who had, you know, he'd been struggling to make it to get into the team. He was he was called in in, in for the second half. Uh, TC dancing afterwards with his air, air boot on and his his um, uh, crutches. Um, I thought that was lovely. Um, and yeah, I suppose also it was just, you know, I, I, I I'm brought I was brought up to actually sort of get some sort of like sense of professional detachment. You know, you're the observer. These are the participants. Never the twain shall meet. Uh, but that day, I remember running on the pitch when the final whistle went, and I jumped all over forty. And uh, you know, it, it felt natural because it, it was wrong. It was, it was it's like wrong. You don't do that, you know. But um, and uh, actually, on the pitch, I looked up at the fans, and they were they were going schizo. They were they were it's fantastic to see what one football club. And what one football team, you know, a collection of, 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 of men meant to that, you know, 50,000 50, people. It was, it was immense. And uh, you, just, you just saw what football meant to people. And I think that was a really, really um, privileged position to be in. And it stayed with me ever since. That, that whole idea of, you know, people talk about winning at Wembley and all that. But, gee, you know, until... And I, I sort of, I was privileged to actually sort of get it, you know, almost like experience it secondhand. It was unreal. It was fantastic. And um, it was the perfect way to, well, also as a part of me thinking, get in, you know, that's a brilliant end to the book. So there was a part of that as well. <laughs> ching, ching. Uh, well, yeah, but it, it, it is, because it, is, it was funny, you know, that but the, the book, you know, the, the all the major publishers weren't interested. I said, Mill, who wants a Millwall book? Who's interested in Millwall? And and I funded it myself. You know, I self-published it. Okay. Um, because I believed in it. And, um, you know, as I said, you know, the great thing about that achievement was that it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a Millwall fan to understand why that team did what it did and how it did what it did. And, um, you know, I get it a lot that people said, you know, I wish we had a bit of Millwall in our club. And I think that's the greatest credit you can you can give to people. Yeah, no, look, I I think the book's still available as well, isn't it, Michael? So um, yeah. So you know, good, good bookshops, bad bookshops, anywhere else, mate. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Uh, uh, a description and whatnot. We'll put Dunny's book here, and maybe going forward, maybe we we'll do one with you, Dunny, on your book. See if we can sell you a few more copies because um, we had John Sitton. We done we done one of these with John Sitton talking about bits and pieces with him. And um, 
and his book went through the roof afterwards. He sold a load of copies because he, he, and obviously do self print with Amazon. So when someone orders it, it they get it printed for you. So, um, yeah, yeah. so yeah, we 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 could always look at that going forward, get some stories, and hopefully we'll remember them. Um, You've got the tunnel video, haven't you? Like everyone yeah, talks tunnel, about on Sky, but that was pretty standard. Like standard, like we, teams are coming. Like Mike says, it just just goes in, and that obviously that that bit they pull out, it just tightens up a little bit, gets a little bit dark for for some of the opposition players, just bef- and they can just see that little tunnel vision into the den. So. Like, like Mike says, you've got Forley making a load of noise, TC making a load of noise, and all of us would just try and make a little bit of noise, really, just to just to let them know what, what, what's coming, really, and, and try and get any edge we could. And uh, see that Huddersfield one's gone down in a little bit of, bit of folklore. It's a shame, really, because we were, we were hoping to get Forley on this, um, but unfortunately, he couldn't do it. Michael was going to try and get Forley on. So, I mean, look, we're, um, we're drawing this to a close. Um, we'll go forward now. I mean, just really out of all four of you, if we start with you, Robbo, what's your your best memory from that season? It's a real tough one. Um, I think that whole season was just littered with good memories. Like I said, I think that a few moments for me really stand out. I think I could, I think I, where I've been battling, I mean, my foot, I sort of broke my foot in the January uh, season before and then the following pre-season, I then broke it again. So then there was a particular game away at Stockport, which was my first one league game back. We won four 0 I scored the first goal, and that, for a, as a moment, was I've been battling away really, and that, as a moment for me, just on a personal level, was quite an important bit that felt right. I'm back. I'm ready. Um, like you say, the two Charlton games, um, and then, but f- for me, two moments. Obviously, I think just the Huddersfield game, just that whole evening, everything about the atmosphere, how I felt, scoring the second goal, just that whole evening, the feeling, just was incredible, was immense really. That was a that was a really special night. But then obviously scoring a winner at Wembley, walking up those steps and picking up that trophy, I just you can't imagine a, a better feeling, a better moment, a better yeah, just a better time in, in my life really in terms of what it meant to me just personally, but also you know, to, to Mill as a club and, and kind of crowning my, my time and everything about Mill at that time as well. So that was, you know, incredible. Gary, I know you were injured and don't say fucking getting injured but you, I mean you you were obviously as you said you, you were still wrapped around the team and all that you, I mean yeah, it, you must have been caught up in that buzz yeah no 100% as I said it followed on and we was like the book says we was close knit and we was close knit you know and I, I played my part in some games but I think my fondest memory of that season is the late winner against Leeds I think uh, I've been injured I've struggled with my heel that was the day I think I headed that ball and I knew my heel was fucked you know, like I knew it was in bits. I think I had to limp around for the, I think well, there was probably five or six minutes injury time or something like that. So the game was another 10 minutes. So I think it was about 86, 87 minutes I scored and a bit of injury time, you know, and I felt it go again then. As I headed that ball, as I got off the floor to head that ball, I felt my heel go and I, I knew then that, wow, this is it, you know, like and it was a long road back, but I managed to get back. So for me scoring that, that was my last Millwall goal, I think. Um, being the winner against Leeds, which is obviously nice, but then obviously being part of the final again, that going to Wembley, you dream of that as a kid to, to get there again, is was fantastic. And and as I said, you know, I moved on for whatever reason, but everything happened for a reason. I end up captain in my next side that following season at Wembley, you know. So I've got obviously great memories, and everything happens for a reason. But I'll, I'll go with that Leeds goal without a shadow of a doubt because that was my last uh, sort of goal for Millwall, which I, I love scoring goals and that was my last goal. So, yeah, Leeds. Danny? 
Yeah, just to finish off the look, per personal note, it was never got to play in the final, but I scored a couple of important goals, played a lot of football that year, missed out on injury. Um, I got player of the season that, that, that year, so which was a big thing for me. Um, would have swapped that for playing in the final, and, 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 and but um, still to be part of a squad that, that achieved something at the end of the year. <laughs> Um, yeah. As a group, have your family there at Wembley, and and and, and to look back at it and, and share that memory with people that we were close with and, and a tight group with, um, was was a highlight. So many personal memories, but as a group, I mean the promotion w w was fantastic to get in the championship. Yeah, no, it's, it was a, it was a good win that day. So Michael, onto onto your 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 memories for what stick out for that season. Well, we talked about. Yeah, so many of them. Um, I haven't mentioned Robbo getting hit in the face with a hot dog. I thought that was quite good. Uh, is it Colchester or something? Colchester, yeah. <laughs> um, a letter of apology, I think, from the fella. <laughs> did you? Yeah. I think he was. He, he, I think he was told his fortune anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, obviously Wembley was was an amazing experience, um, and you know. I looked around the bar afterwards at about three in the morning when you know people were all over the all over the gaff. But I just sent. I, I just I just felt there was a wonderful sort of sense of um, people getting what they deserved. And you know, I spent quite a bit of time talking to Ken that night, and we talked about his dad. And you know, his dad Frank. Um, it it really struck me um, in the. Uh, first leg of the of the against Huddersfield, you know, his dad passed away um, about forty eight hours before, and he didn't tell anyone. And Joe Joe pulled me and said, "Look, you know, his dad passed away because I'd heard it from you know, our, you know, we we grew up together on the same council estate in Watford, so my mates at Watford had told me." And you know, I remember sitting with him in the dressing room when the guys went out for a warm up back for that game, and he was sort of leafing through the program and. He was saying, oh, yeah, I went to Wembley the other week. You know, do you know the programme's like six quid? Remember when we were kids, you know, six quid for a programme. And he was quite sort of reflective about his dad. And his dad basically gave him his values as a, as, as a footballer, but also as a man, you know. And uh, the great thing about Ken that his, his elder brother said about him was that, you know, his dad basically drummed into Ken the key to success in football is making the right decision at the right time. And I think that season he made you know, a succession of right decisions at right times. But he said that on that night at Huddersfield, my dad would, my dad would have wanted me to be here. And um, when we were, we, were in the, we were in the bar at Wembley that night, he was, he was, he was quite reflective about his dad. And yeah, you know, I got the sense he wasn't alone that night. I thought his, 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 the spirit of his dad was with him, and I thought that was lovely. And I just thought it was the perfect end to, you know, what for me was a, you know, a perfect um, experience. You know, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Nice, nice, nice um, touch to end in there. Just before we do, I have to, sorry, Robbo, I have to say, I have to ask this. Um, how was it that day when um, Harry Redknapp got, Smacked in the side of the face with the ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Have you seen? I still got the, the pictures. Different. I've got parts, it. So. I've got it right. I, I just. I was thinking it was Robbo there. I swear it was. And I just literally 
um, Googled it and I went, I went, oh yeah, it is, isn't it? So uh, that whole incident, wasn't it? Obviously, it was a bit out of order. Oh. There you go. Uh, Joe Jordan getting it right in the face, didn't he? Um, yeah, he got his glasses broken, didn't he? Yeah, that was a bit out of order. But then, obviously, then, oh yeah, that was a different class. <laughs> and then for but. Because it was, like, it was we what's his name who done it, wasn't it? We, Terry we, did it, didn't he? It was Terry who did it. Yeah, we were 2-1 down. And I was like, give me the ball, give me the ball. And he was like scarping around because the ball was bouncing around all over the place. And he's picked it up and it wasn't even deliberate. He's like, he's just trying to throw me the ball as quick as he can. And literally, honestly, it was like slow motion. And uh, <laughs> Terry was, he's still, I think he's probably still gutted about it. Now he was mortified. You could see his face just go white, literally. But the beauty was, obviously, I threw it, and then we went down and scored straight away and scored the equaliser. So not only did he had it in the face like that, we went and scored the equaliser and drew to all, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was definitely a funny, um, definitely a funny thing, mate. That was that was pure class because he he went fucking Garrity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to get back now without fucking without sharing that. Um, and there we go. I think. No, I still can't figure it out. So, yeah, okay. I think as well with, with what Mike says, I think that the after party, I think the year before that when we'd lost was, I think the, the year, the, the sort of after the uh, Swindon one, it was more just a calm, relaxed affair. It was, it was just a few, you know, the lads had a few beers. It was almost like everyone just wanted to take in the moment and enjoy the experience. I think we had more years, uh, more beers the year before, I think, just trying to get over the defeat more than anything, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, there we go. It's up there, isn't it? That's why. I'm looking yeah, for the stop sharing button and I realised it was on a different screen. Because I've got two screens there and I'm thinking, right, okay, yeah. So, look, I can't appreciate you enough. Um, I didn't expect to, to get as long as we got um, uh, you gents. Um, and I really, really do appreciate it. And Danny, that, that offer is definitely there, mate. Um, you know, uh, I need to read your book again. When, you know, I think me and Omar probably definitely would... Would love to have you on and do a show about your book, speak about your career. Um, and again, that offers open to all of you if you, you know, throughout your career and whatnot. Um, we wanted to do this one really. There's just really because it's it's 10 years old. It was just nice to find some of the hidden stories behind it. Nice to to listen to some of your your heroes to a degree speak. I mean, me and Omar, since we've managed to put this together, have been like, nervous as hell um especially for the last couple of days knowing that oh shit it's here on wednesday um in case we've fucked it up or, or we've done something there um michael's kindly given us um a load of books he's got so i possibly might end up seeing you at some point in the future saying can you sign some of these basically um what we're going to do is is keeping the the theme of millwall family obviously with the book called family we're gonna um as you, as some of you know, because they get onto you, there's a, a couple of Millwall fans um, who, Pete, Charlie, and Eddie, they do um, a charity fundraiser every Christmas. Uh, they do it for Evelina Hospital and uh, Demelza um, Children's Hospice. And Michael's got some books, a uh, load of books. And what we're going to do is try and get some of those signed by. Um, you guys and then we're going to give it to them to sell and raise some money for both those charities um, I thought it was a nice touch Michael offered the books to us and I just thought it was a nice touch that you know as a Millwall family we can help um, two local charities which possibly um, look after some of our our fans kids over the time and it's just a nice little way of giving something back so I will be in touch with you 
possibly getting you to sign. Um, I probably won't get you to sign all of them because I think Michael's given me 100, 100, 100 books. Sorry, thank God for that. 100 <laughs> books, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I might not get you um, to sign them all, but yeah, we'll, um, we're, we're definitely be in touch. So, look, thank you very much. Um, I like normally to end these with a final thought. I mean, is there anything what you just want to say before we go, Robbo? No, just any time. It's obviously great talking about not only those times, but Millwall, really. So thank you very much for having us, really, and, and to bring back so many good memories. And, and like you say, those experiences, um, just a little journey along the way, all those little moments that just go into that whole story of that whole season, but also your time at Millwall. So no, thanks for helping us relive those and for the for the, for the the experience today. And then hopefully over these, these next eight games, the... Uh, Lads crossed, can maybe it? make some, it be good? Me- some new memories for oh, us away. Wouldn't it be good if we could get in the Premiership? How fucking, how shit scared would the FA be? Do you know what I mean? Really? I mean, there must be people sitting at FA Towers right now going, thank fuck they lost at the weekend. Because, you know, let's just hope how it goes. Because we all know the conspiracy theories out there. And we all know the way it works with referees coming up when we look as if we're going forward. Um, but, mate, if we could get in the Premiership, just for one season, fuck me, we would turn that Premier League corporate image upside down for a year, wouldn't we, and have some pure fun. <laughs> <laughs> any, any final thought from you then, Gaz? Uh, again, uh, it's, it's great to see everyone. Great to see Mike again. Sunny, obviously, I'll see you on a reg. Good to see Rob Bogan over there and keep up the good work, guys. It's a good show, and as you said, anything we can help with especially them books, get that sorted, we get them signed because obviously Evelyn's helped me in the past to keep my kids and I'm sure it's helped a lot of that, you know, so it's uh, Evelina is something that is close to my heart as well, so just contact me straight away and we'll get that sorted. Yeah, yeah no worries, excellent. Um, Danny? Just, no, just congratulate Mike on, on, on his book for like 10 years, it's a fantastic book, I mean, I think we've all read it and it's, it's, it's great to put a, what what might never been written down what happened in that season for us to go back over it and look over it all the memories in it we can only thank mike for that we we we, we look at mike as a friend now not only as a writer but as a friend for us um and a good man himself so and we couldn't have thought of anyone better to write the book than mike so um credit to you mike it's been it's been a fantastic book and, and 10 years and and, and full, full congratulations to you thanks very much mate yeah and and back at you guys as well because uh, as i said right at the start um you know, I was I was always aware of how privileged I was to actually see you at work, and I learned a lot. And if I can do anything, I suppose when you put a lot of words between two covers, what happens is the people that you write about almost get a form of immortality. So to people, you know, the the that season is just on repeat. It's like Groundhog Day. And you guys will be 27, 28, 29, whenever you were for the rest of your life, which isn't a bad thing to do, is it really? So um, thanks, mate. And, um, you know, anything we can do uh, to help the charities, um, please let us know, mate. Uh, excellent. That's, that's very, very kind of you. I suppose realistically, though, just before um, just before we go, we're going to we've got to just see Gary's goal, are we? <laughs>
You can say anything about the best players in the world, like for Barcelona, Man United, anybody you can name, you won't see a bigger strike than that. He knew exactly what he was going to do when it came to him. You watch him. Looks there, quickly, he's going to smash it. That is fantastic. Keeper has got no chance. Probably didn't expect it. Nobody expected it but him. He expected it because he did that. That is absolutely fantastic technique. It dips in the end. The power, the pace, did for the goalkeeper. Slightly off his line, but look, he's back in time. But the quality of the strike just couldn't get him anywhere near it. Fantastic. That is a goal which has electrified Wembley and Millwall. With the commentary, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Sound and all that makes sense. That is, as a neutral, that is one of the best goals I've ever... Well, certainly the best goal I've seen at Wembley. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's without, it. yeah. without, I don't think anyone's ever touched it. That's the um, that's the thing in there. No one's ever done that. I mean, that was such an instinctive goal. Got the implants put in straight after it, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, thank you very much, gents. Um, I will take you up on your offers going forward. We would love to do some more with you. Um, and that's pretty much where, where we're looking at with these shows, just more in-depth and, and just sort of behind everything. Um, so, look, can't thank you enough. We've got best part of two and a half hours out of you. We will be putting this out over a few shows. And honestly, once this lockdown out, we will meet up. And uh, and I think me and Omar will definitely buy you all a beer. Um, and maybe we can have a chat with some of those, those uh, stories that you can't remember now. So, uh, look, thank you very much. And uh, Omar, any, any last word? No, thanks to the guys for coming on, like reliving, obviously I'm a bit younger, but obviously my childhood is obviously you guys all playing for me all and it's obviously a great memory. So, yeah, thanks for coming on, really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you Cheers, very much. Cheers, So how will this young Huddersfield team cope with being in the lion's den? The one who can perhaps expect the most stick after being involved in the penalty controversies at the weekend. The roar of the lion's den will be an intimidating experience for Huddersfield. For Schofield to pull it across, Morrison! 1-0 Millwall! It's Barron's corner, Robinson! And surely that is it! At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. That symphony of engines roaring in perfect harmony. It's a feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, Jerry. Oh, my word. Really, really terrible. Is that a glockenspiel, Jerry? Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Uh, no, Jerry, it's over. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.